Okay, so one of the things, and I know Amy and I talked too much about Nancy Guthrie. The other thing we're gonna talk too much about, we wanted to start doing a conference together, going to conferences together. The beauty of conferences is that none, none of us are carrying the load of the work, and so we can all sit around and have all that juicy conversation afterward. And the com we went to the one at Nancy Guthrie was poolside. So Amy and I spent all of our afternoons studying the book of Revelation by the pool. Um, it was beautiful. So I think um, as a church, we've gotten away from conferences, but um, we want to get back into it. Even if it's just a couple of women saying, hey, we're going, who wants to go with us, which is how it's going to start, is people just saying, I heard about this one, I want to go. And then maybe we can start finding the, the one that we go to annually um, as a group. And it just like kind of allows us to have this really good conversation together as a, a group of women. But while we were at that conference, this... Um, guy came he his website is 10 of they are a reformed website and he lives what you might call some might call a charmed uh tom sawyer-esque lifestyle modern day of traveling in his van with his family reading books finding the best ones that not only just like oh this is crossway it should be good but reformed wonderful books from uh, study tools to kids' books. They go conference to conference. He recommends them, and their family sit around, sits around reading the books um, that they're going to put in their bookstores. Um, super cool. We are going to work, I think we're going to work with them. They will create um, a sort of CBC-facing site that is 10ofthose.com where you can order directly from 10 of those, but it looks like our website and connected to our website. Um, just because they're really trusted, but also because we can say, hey, we would also like to add this, this, and this, and they will do it. Um, that's in the works. As in, Amy and I have a lot of ideas, we just don't have a lot of time. All right, so a lot of this, some of this stuff came from that conference that I just couldn't stop, so I wanna start with the kids' stuff. Uh, because a lot of us have kids, but also because I'm so grateful that I have kids because it forced me to read kids' stuff and realize that I need kids' stuff. Um, that we keep saying, like, this is the work you need to do, and there is heavy lifting to do, but the reality is there's some very beautiful truths that have been boiled down by some really smart people that are amazing. So I want to start. Where do I want to start? Many of you have gotten this book me. It's called Sammy and the Shepherd. It's an explanation of Psalm 23 through a story. Um, a couple of you and I were talking earlier that the unfair thing about reading these books to your children is that they don't, they don't always have to see you. They shouldn't always have to see you weeping while you read, which is nearly agonizing for them. But it's one of my favorite emotions. <laughs> but I can only read two or three pages of this before Noelle says, Mom, I'll take over. And then Layla will take over. And then they'll give it back to me when I can clean it up. Um, a beautiful picture of these two sheep. I can't even talk about it. You should just read it. I, can, I will cry. Um, that one is, doesn't belong to the shepherd, the shepherd. And one belongs to the neighboring 
shepherd who doesn't care for his sheep. And um, Precious, and he had, and Precious has a name, his name is Precious, he's called Precious by the shepherd, and the neighboring sheep has no name, and he does not know his name. And by the end of the book, that sheep is rescued by the shepherd. Um, I mean, gosh, darn, you just can't, you can't get gospel like that. You don't get it like that, you know? So now I read Psalm 23, and I want to go over reading Sammy and the Shepherd. So highly recommend, or you can just wait for whatever your next birthday is, because you'll probably wind up getting it for me, because that's what I've been doing lately, if you've noticed. Or if you have a sad moment, I've been getting that as well. So several of you got that. Okay. In that vein, this one was recommended on... Nancy Guthrie's podcast by the guy who wrote it, The Moon is Always Round, also another tearjerker, but beautiful. It has a very specific context. This man is a, a um, pastor, and he lost his baby girl in the, in the hospital. They didn't bring her home, but they had to explain it to their three-year-old. And um, the baby's name was Layla. So, oh. But um, he had been teaching his son about the um, moon phases. And he said, yes, but what, what shape is the moon always? And he says, the moon is always round, right? So no matter what shadows are over the moon, we know that the moon is round. And so that became the catechism for how he talked to his, his son, that God is always good, even though we may only see a slice of what is really happening, we can see the whole, we can believe the whole thing is there because of his goodness and grace. So I don't, I haven't lost a child, um, but to me, losing the child is among one of the worst things you can experience. And so if I can endure that which I have lost, or I'm losing, or walking through a trial, and believe that God is still good, which is most of what the scriptures are about, right? Believing that God is still good despite that. Um, the moon is always round. I have, this is also, so he uses this, he gives this to people or people give this to people when they've lost children and it's been a huge comfort. So if you also know someone who needs that kind of thing, it's beautiful. All right. I'm just going to recommend this set as a series. Um, this was recommended to me by Robbie Fortner. I don't know if you remember pre-pandemic, Robbie Fortner was a capital R reformed person long before we were. And so she would tell me what I needed to know long before I believed it. And she pointed these, this is a written by R.C. Sproul, children's books. Um, the Barber Who Wanted to Pray, The Priest with Dirty Clothes, The Donkey Who Carried the King, <laughs> Dang, I tell you, I love crying and reading. Um, and The Prince's Poison Cup. These are all just beautiful stories of you see the gospel, right? And you get to read them to your children and cry. So that's helpful. All right. God made me for heaven. So I really wanted to explain to my children, now that we're no longer teaching our children that we want to be saved just so that we don't go to hell. We're not scaring them into hell, out of hell. Though hell is real, and it is a scary place, and none of us want to go there, the reality is 
If we spend so much time scaring our children, they won't know what the glory is of believing what we're believing. And so uh, God made me for heaven is explain to your children the glories and greatness of the new heavens and the new earth and why we are created for heaven. Okay, so I just think it's that one. We're, we're not all the way through it, clearly. We're working. Okay. This way. I'm also in the middle of this one and, no, not middle. Okay, so you know Pilgrim's Progress? You know our history with Pilgrim's Progress? Do you know our, <laughs> not very long ago, but very long ago enough to be history, our pastors wrote a book called Something Against the Word Pilgrim's Progress. That they didn't like the idea that we were, <sighs> needed to work our way to the cross. And I, and Robbie Fortner told me, they're misunderstanding it, Amy. You need to go do it for your work, do the work for yourself. So I've had that in the back of my mind. But every time I pick up Pilgrim's Progress, it was taught to me in the way that it's typically taught to you. Some old man sat me down and walked me through this boring story of how pilgrims, Christians going to the celestial city. And I nearly vomited in my mouth as a teenager. So I did not, I cannot sit down and read it. This is called Little Pilgrim's Progress. And it is a beautifully illustrated story of rabbits and other woodland creatures who live in the city of destruction. And man, to read this straight off Revelation to see that we are in the city of destruction. We don't believe that, but like that we are living in the city of destruction um, and that we are aiming, are aiming toward the cross. It was, I'm like, oh gosh, we don't believe that Satan is out to um, get, he's not out for their good. He's not out for anybody's good. Even those who believe in him and worship him, he, he will destroy them. He's out for his own good. So I needed to be reminded of that. But anyway, so he, he sets out on this journey. He tries to get his friend Christiana to go. Um, but he, he has a burden on his back. His friends keep trying to get him to play. But he says, I have this burden on my back, and I can't get rid of it. Ah. His mom dies in the very first scene. It's like a picture. It's beautifully illustrated. It's sketches. Um, his mom dies. You see, you see it in the pictures. It's not said. And um, he, he, but he feels this burden. His friends keep telling him, "I want you to come play, come play." And he's saying, "I heard from the messenger, or the the stranger came to tell them that we're in the city of destruction and we're not safe and we need to leave." And then he says, "But I can't play. I have this burden on my back. I have to get rid of." Dang. So. He goes down the narrow path to find it. So he goes through several places, but he winds up at the cross, and his burden feels up, falls off, and he's never felt that way before in his life. And he feels like he can walk, and he is free. Beautiful picture of the gospel. What I don't like about it, and where the boys were right, he is working really hard and there's really good pictures of working really hard to get to heaven to be with his mama who's looking after him from heaven there's a little bit of what we don't hold to in that but i'm discerning enough to kind of walk past that and understand that I'm aiming at something much larger than just being with my dead loved ones in heaven, though that will be delightful until the return of Christ when we are made 
new again and are able to live on the um, earth with him. So I really do recommend this with discernment, um, but you can't have it. I, it's up for grabs as soon as we finish it, but you can't have it till we're finished. So just wait. Um, I'll let you take a look at some of the other stuff. Uh, the other, this is a, this is just different. I really like this. The um, graphic novel of historical theology for kids. So it goes through. Um, that this made me think. Oh, Layla, Layla needs this in order to want want any of this. Um, that gosh, I can't even fully explain it. Um, Athanasius served as a pastor. So this whole thing is about Athanasius. But did you know, and it talks about people have died for our faith. Did you know that? And so these kids are learning the history of our faith, not just which, uh, but also um, more details about the Old Testament and the New Testament, Passover feast, major Hebrew holidays. Um, so I, I have not pick, I've peaked. I have not done uh, very much work in this book. But um, I really like it so far as, as I have peered into it. And I accidentally ordered two. So if anyone wants to um, get a deal, <laughs> I probably need to sell one. It's still wrapped up. All right. So the other stuff that I have here is um, just, I'll just name it. This is my um, gospel transformation Bible um, that... I, I agree. If you're not sure how that singular storyline of God's redemption falls in every chapter um, and verse or every section, that's a good way of finding it and seeing it. Uh, praying through the Bible with your kids. Um, we've been doing this. I love that it's spiral bound because I can leave it in the hall closet and then I stand between the rooms to pray. Um, it is also for old, like if your children are older. Um, it, this one I just flipped to, a broken-hearted parent. And so it, you read the passage and then uh, read the section and then you pray. So um, that's been a really sweet thing for me to use with the girls. Other than that, I will recommend, if you're going to say to me, Amy, all this observation, interpretation, application, I can't do it all the time. This is, one, new to me. Two, it's really hard work. I agree with you. What we're doing is like, this is the gold standard. One, we want to equip you to do it by yourself, that you don't have to start with a commentary or a systematic theology in order to understand the scriptures. But I do understand that I personally spend more time, I get, I get to, to this more readily by going through some really good study. So uh, this is the Knowing the Bible series. We've done it several times with women. Um, studies, and I really like this series of Bible studies. So if you're looking, you're saying, Amy, this is great, what y'all are saying, but I'm never going to do this. And so essentially what you're presenting to me is putting a barrier between me and the Bible, not bringing me closer to it. Then I would recommend that you go to something like this that structures your study in a way that you're not just going to go to the Bible, read it, not understand it, and walk away, or go to the Bible, read it, see if it says anything uh, that you were hoping it would say. If you prove it says exactly what you thought it should say, and walk away, right? Those are the two things we won't. Um, if we're accurately dividing the word of truth, we need to do it in a way that's accurate and not just according to our own understanding. 
And then I just brought Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology because it's very devotional. I had to read through it in college, and it was more devotional than Erickson, the other one. The other one. There's lots, but these are the two that I had to read in college. Um, but I love it. So anyway, Systematic Theology is, if you don't know, it just walks through the scriptures systematically. So it starts at um, Theo, God, knowledge of God, who God is, and then walks you all the way through all the topics of the Bible and where you'll find it in the Bible. So it's a good thing to use to supplement your study if you're like, oh, all of a sudden, I think we're talking about election in Romans. Then you could go to your systematic theology, start reading everything you wanted to know about election or being called could go to your systematic theology and learn more about what that means and where it's else referenced in, 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 in the scriptures. All right, and then this Ecclesiastes book, a bunch of you did this the other, if you did the study before, we read this in Ecclesiastes, but beautiful. And I don't remember anything because that's my nature, but I remember it being beautiful um, explanation of Ecclesiastes and much better than what I could have done on my own. So, anyway, please come pick through. Um, in fact, unless I said I'm in the middle of it, you're welcome to borrow it all. I um, am in a new stage of life where I'm teaching and um, for the first time, and so I don't have time for anything or anybody. But um, I'd like to not be like that, but for now, that's where I'm at. Um, so these books are getting dusty. So you're welcome to grab them if you want to. Just get them back to me within six months. That would be ideal. Okay, you were ready. Was that, that was enough breakish enough for us to hop into this. I'm going to try to be 15 minutes, not an hour. I'm going to give you what you need. It's not going to be enough. I'm going to give you what you need, and then we're going to run into the interpretation of the thing. Is this on already, or we're good? Okay, so I'm going to start just by praying scripture, doing that again, and kind of getting us ready to hear God's word. All right, let's pray. Lord, praise be to you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In your great mercy, you have given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for us, who through faith we are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this we greatly rejoice, though for now we may suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that we would have a proven genuineness of our faith that is greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. Though we have not seen him, we love you. Though we have not seen you, we love you. And even though we do not see you now, we believe in you and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We are receiving the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Amen. All right. So what have we done so far? We've read it. We really didn't read it that many times. I, uh, we should have read it more. I recommend reading it lots and lots and lots and lots before you start making those observations. So it kind of gets in you um, and listening to it and reading it in multiple versions. We observed it carefully. I think what we did was great. And especially when we added it together, it was huge. Um, we could have been more careful. And um, 
when I was in college, I did a class, and I was telling some girls last night, um, we studied Psalm 1 for the entire semester. We spent three weeks making observations of Psalm 1. And I thought my first day's observations were exhaustive. And three weeks later, I had one or two words. And by the time I was done, I had answers for all of those questions and words. So you, this is gold. The more you refine it, the more beautiful it becomes. But not all of us, we don't always have all the time in the world. So this is, our brain, I might get there somewhere, but um, our brains are wired to only withhold that which we really need. So it's important for us to create questions. I don't know about you, but I was more engaged. In background study, uh, when the pastor starts a new, <laughs> the pastor, starts a new series, the who, what, when, where, how is one of, in my opinion, the most boring sermons of the entire thing. But when Amy's presenting it today, in fact, last night, I said, why was you prevented? <laughs> I wanted to er, know early. I had an investment in it because I, I wanted to know. And also, I know something about Amy, and uh, I recommend Amy and Maps, and probably Leona will, get it, will be good at it too. Amy is incredible. If you look at our science school room, Amy has printed these giant maps, and I'm thinking, maps have to be one of the most boring things in all creation. And Amy really makes me be like, where was he now? Show me the trail. <laughs> and like, it starts to make sense, like why he was prevented. And he becomes real. Paul becomes a real person in a real place, and he's really going somewhere. And I thought about, oh gosh, that really was a long journey. I know it must have taken him months to get across the sea. So um, there's some real value in in investing in those questions in order that you care about the answer, okay? So observation is hard because we want to hop to interpretation, especially if you've already heard it taught somewhere. You're like, well, I already know that, that Paul is preaching to this specific group. But we wanna hold out as long as possible on our interpretive notes, even on something we already know. Stop and say, but what is clear from the text? Not what I know from so what somebody already taught me. What can I see here? So anytime you see yourself, if you're doing this observation part, try your best to stay within observation mode, which is simply saying what the passage said. Nikki goes, I didn't add because I didn't think you got, did you really just want me to say, Paul wrote to Rome? That's obvious. <laughs> That's all we're saying. <laughs> that is, we're just listing the obvious. Um, it is a list of the obvious, but that first verse, it was obvious, but I don't know about you, but we sat there the, the, from the resurrection of the dead, this run-on sentence that he had, without knowing that he had to prove his authority as an apostle, having seen the resurrection. He's mentioning all those things in that introduction. Now I'm like, as she's teaching, I'm like, Oh, he was proven in his authority. That was that run-on sentence, right? So I was engaged. I think that you probably were as well. That's how it should work, where we're creating a space where our brain wants to know answers so that when we go look at the answers, they, uh, our answers, our brain will remember and retain. That's the whole point of what we're doing in observation. Okay, so background is your next step. You cannot find out the background by reading the Bible for the most part. You might be able to, like in Romans, you'll go to Acts and see more about what's happening, but the reality is you're gonna have to go to some kind of supplemental book to read 
where was Paul in his journeys? What, what year was this written? What was Corinth like? What was Rome like? What was, in order to, what was the church made up of in order to fully understand that? Um, so, but if you understand the who, what, when, where, how, before you get started in this next section, which is called interpretation, that will give you all that you need to kind of, to interpret, and we'll get to that. Okay, I'll be, so carefully observe. If you don't, if we don't carefully observe, we will lead to misconception and misunderstanding. Okay, that, I already said that. So genre, I just wanted to point this out. We believe in a historical literal, no, historical literal grammatical uh, hermeneutic, which means we believe, and I'll, this is the next slide. Why don't I say, no, it's two slides away. That's terrible placement. We believe that the scriptures are literal within their genre, right? So if I'm writing poetry, I'm going to have a lot of foreshadowing. I'm going to have a lot of, even in my original language, I'm going to rhyme. But it, Mason said to me last night, that doesn't rhyme. I said, I know, because we don't speak Greek. Um, but so, and actually, some of our words are chosen in a rhyme. Um, roses are red and violets are blue. The, violets aren't, are a little bit, the violet, they're a little purpley. But why do we say blue? Because it rhymes with, I love you. We choose blue because it rhymes with you. So sometimes in poetry, words are chosen not because maybe they were the absolute best words, though God inspired the Bible, so they are the best words, but because it fits within the structure of what they're saying. Does that make sense? So you want to look at, there's history, poetry, prophecy, and epistles. So some books will have some, like Exodus is written in history, but chapter 15 includes a song written in poetic language. Um, history includes the books of the law, history books, and the four gospels. Poetry includes the Psalms and the wisdom literature. Prophetic includes the prophetic books. And um, some might subcategorize some of this to be like uh, the apocalyptic literature as well in there. And then the epistles are written by an apostle. There are letters. Okay, so that helps you to greater understand the context in which it's written and the tone um, the literary genre needs to be. So, real life story, uh, Amy and I had a lady come to our the Bible study when I was going to Amy's, I'm pretty sure it was Amy's um, house, and we were studying Psalms, and there's this verse in Psalm that talks about how God catches your tears in a bottle. And we had already had a long conversation at the beginning of that study that we understand that a lot of psalm is going to be um, figurative language because it's poetry. And we could not convince this lady that God does not have a storeroom of tears in heaven because she wanted to be literal. She wanted to take God's word for what it is. And we can say, I, I totally get that. And that we said to her, you know what? There's nothing wrong with you believing that he actually has a storeroom. It still gets you to the point that you understand that God really cares for your tears. He really cares for your cares. But we would look at that and say, you know what? I think it's more of an, an illustration of God's care and concern for us. Um, but when we get to heaven, if there's a storeroom, I will say I'm wrong, okay? Okay, so the ne this is lesson three. I'll be quick. I oh, I'm not very quick. 
Um, interpretation. Interpretation is discovering the meaning of the text to the original audience. To the original audience. So don't, now that you're, you're okay to go into interpretation, don't hop to application telling us what it means to you already. Stop in this section. Swim in it. This is what did it mean to Paul's audience. So you see what Amy was talking about. If they're Jews and they love the law, then how did what he is saying fit to their, who they are? Right? So that's what we want to do. Your interpretation must be what it meant to them. Reject all thoughts that are related to what it means to you in this section. Try to stay true blue connected to interpretation as what it means to the original audience. Applap application is what it means to me. What did, how does it change me? Okay, don't hop there yet. Okay, it is the plain meaning of the text. The plain meaning of the text within its literary genre. So um, when the text is unclear, so you say, yeah, yeah, that's fine, I got it. But when the text is unclear, the main place we go is to look at another passage of scripture that speaks to the same idea, concept, or theme. Okay? This is called scripture interprets scripture. That's our main authority. We don't go run to the commentaries first. You may need to run to a Croft's reference or a commentary to help you know where to go. And that's certainly fine. And I'm not saying you can't just go read a commentary. Did I make that really clear that we can all go read commentaries? What I'm saying is if we're just unadulteratedly doing this correctly, um, we want to try to, we want to, instead of just hopping to, what, what does it mean? Uh, let scripture interpret itself. So there's plenty of places within, you want to start within that passage? Like maybe he describes it better just in a few verses down. Or maybe later on in that letter, he describes it better and gives us a better understanding. Or maybe in one of his other letters. Do you see how I'm getting like, here's that, that, and then we're growing out and out from that. You want to kind of stick within, if it's Paul's writing, let's try to see if we can figure it out through Paul's writing and then work your way out from there. Okay, I already talked about this. Historical events. So we believe in a historical grammatical uh, this came from Martin Luther, but he stole it from the church fathers long before him. Do you remember that we are reformed? And what reformed is, is that long ago, um, the priests said, nobody can have the special revelation that we have to read the Bible the way we do because it's all allegorical and only God reveals it to us. And so all the people had to wait for the priests to tell them what the Bible meant. And Martin Luther said, no. I think we can understand the word of God for ourselves if we understand the original historical meaning to its audience and then we look at it grammatically. Um, and that's what we are doing. We're simply doing what Luther did and doing what the early church fathers did. Uh, we go to the historical facts and then we go to grammatical. So I talked to Stacy and she was saying, I really like that, like printing it out and like making notes on it from the printout. That's kind of how I see observation going for me. And I see that too. That's kind of my, I like the physical stuff. I like physical books. Um, so that might be where you're going in the grammatical part. This is a verb. The witch is referring to that. That gospel is referring to that. That's talking about Jesus. So I'm just drawing lines or highlighting sections. However it works for you. Okay, so if you're really looking to deep, deep 
dive. I put the gold here because the, the more you um, refine gold, the more shiny and brilliant it becomes. So you could spend a lifetime studying one book of the Bible. Um, you, we have to do it in such a way that it is practical. If you do it, if, if you have a workout that, if you have a workout, if your goal is to work out, but your routine is so difficult you cannot do it, you do not have a workout, right? And you're all like, oh gosh, that was my problem all along. <laughs> so Leona taught me that my idea is an hour or nothing's good enough. Leona told me 20, 20 minutes is enough, right? So she told me, you know what? Doing it is better than not doing it. So if you say, I can't do all this, then I say, then do what you can. Do what you can. And if you, what you can do is do this, that's where I'm at right now. That's where I'm at right now. There's nothing wrong with that. If all you can do is baby steps to that next step, that's okay. Because doing it is better than not doing it. But if you're just eager beaver, <laughs> Croft's reference, so you can study the words and themes and theological concepts cross-referenced throughout Scripture. You can research the passages that are quoted in the passage. Did you notice that Paul did that today? Um, in this passage, he quoted, uh, what, what did he say? But um, one of my questions in, say it. The righteous shall live by faith. He's quoting that. Um, I would assume he's quoting scripture. So then I want to go back and look. Who is he quoting and why? And what that might give me some context for that idea. Um, word study, so you can go to original language. That's what Amy was talking about with uh, the concordance, Strong's Concordance, um, where you can literally look at the word, and that's what Linda said. Um, we need to look at that word power because that might not mean may not mean this. It might have a, a different nuanced meaning. So that's another way you can kind of pull some of those words that like I think of power as in strength, but I think he means power like authority. And she's right, but we, you know, we want to just prove that through looking at the original word. And then Bible studies, commentaries, and sermons. That's your last go-to. Now you say, no, 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 I need that to be my first go-to. That's fine. But those are going to do the work for you, right? They're going to just spell it out for you. And what our ideal scenario is that we're creating those questions in our minds so that when we go to the commentaries, we care. So those things are going to be the things that by the time you get to those things, if you've done this work, you're going to disagree with them in some places, which is really kind of fun to feel like that big of an expert. Um, Amy said she had a couple of those things with the covenantal theology books that she was like, I kind of disagree with that. That's kind of interesting. Um, so it gives you that discernment to know really what you believe about the passage because you've done the work in it. Okay, so that is the end of that. It, this is quick, I promise. There's only one interpretation of the passage. There is only one interpretation of the passage. That author only had one meaning. There are many applications of the passage. Okay, I need your Bible. Interpretations. And 
I love the body of Christ, one, because Amy taught in a way that was just so clear to me that I'm like, I'm so glad that they had Amy to supplement me because she fits, we kind of like complement one another in the way we think. And so I was like, gosh, she cleared up a lot of my fuzzy. But then the Lord used Erlene because I was needing an illustration and the Lord knew it. Go to Jonah here, Jonah 1290. She highlights, Jonah prayed, part of what he prayed, thou hast cast me into the deep. Okay, so it says, Jonah knew that God had put him where he was, not man. That's the interpretation. That's what it meant for him, that he was praying and he understood that God had put him where he was. What is the application Well, a pastor, someone in this context might say, I think the application for all of us, I can make a really general one, that we can believe that where we are is where God means for us to be. That's pretty general and would be true of all of us. But for me, I might say, wow, so this really busy season of my life where I feel like a failure in a couple of different ways is where God means for me to be and has a place for me to grow. Is that for you? <laughs> no, that, that's my, my heart, my message to me. But God is, the Holy Spirit is living, it's living, it is active. The Holy Spirit's at work at you and you're hearing God's at work in that situation, in that situation, in that situation. Where we wanna be careful, and this is just a side note, with pastors and teachers, sometimes they say, well, this is what God said is good for me, and it's good for you too, um, and that is extra biblical, right? If, if it doesn't say that modesty means three inches on your shoulder and three inches above the cleavage in the scriptures, then it's not appropriate for me to tell you that that's what God is saying. Um, and some of us have been raised in a context where a spiritual authority, even if it was not our church but maybe our home, decided those things and in sometimes in your home it's not always it's not inappropriate but um we need to learn that the spirit we need to learn to depend on the spirit for those things and not always on somebody else or understanding that those things may not also be true for us does that make sense i think that's it um so what we're going to do thank you arlene for this i will um Just 8 through 17. Just 8 through 17. Amy already did the work for us on the first chunk. Um, We're going to outline it. That means write down the major concepts and the supporting details underneath those. Okay? You're saying to yourself, I don't think I can do that. Listen, Nancy Guthrie goes, she writes her own. And then she goes to commentaries and see what they do, and she kind of thinks about how she would do it differently or confirms her own. So this is not like end-all, be-all. This is let's try it. Let's put our brains to it, work through it, and then we can compare and contrast. We're, we're not trying to look for the all the exact right answers. We're trying to do our best, and then we will discover um, the best way to do it as we go. And then finally... Amy had told us, she gave us the outline for the whole thing, the whole book of the Bible, 
the whole Roman, all of Romans. And she had told us that the thesis is in that section. The thesis for Romans, the main idea, what the author wants us to know, I would tell my kindergartners, um, is in this section, eight through, what'd you say, 17? Eight through 17. So it's gonna be difficult, but I think we can do it. We're gonna try to find Paul's thesis for Romans that is there, okay? Will we be perfect? No, but will we try? Yes, we will. Any questions? That is our, that's our task for this session. Any questions for me before I close? I mean, before we get going on it. Amy's gonna give you a new printout. Oh, yes, thank you. Amy printed the Reformation Study Bible notes. No, sorry, the, the, the this one. The, the Gospel Transformation Study Bible and the ESV Study Bible notes for all of us, a copy for all of us. Um, you don't have to, we don't need to run to it as our first go-to. We don't need just to read through it. We don't want to try to do this on our own. But when we get stuck, we might want to pop in if we need to, okay? Amy and I said we could, we could also mill about if y'all need us. We're not experts, um, but we can mill about should you need us. All right, ready, set, go. Thank you.